Well, welcome to another in our interview series with MarTech. Uh, on the line today, I have a guest from the advertising industry, which is always exciting for us. Uh, Melinda McLaughlin is the Chief Marketing Officer at Extreme Reach. This is MarTech Interviews, a podcast from DK New Media, publishers of MarTech, the leading publication for sales and marketing professionals to research, discover, and learn how technology is driving business results. Your host is Douglas Carr. Welcome, everybody, to today's podcast. Uh, I have on the line with me Melinda McLaughlin, uh, Chief Marketing Officer at Extreme Reach. Uh, Melinda is responsible for spearheading all aspects of the company's global marketing and communications, as well as driving market research, product development, strategy, and sales. And it's awesome always to have a pro on board. Melinda has 25 plus years in the advertising industry and has spent her time on every single side, on the ad agency side, on the ad purchasing side, and now on the technology side. Um, uh, Melinda was recently recognized by the Stevie Awards for Women in Business with the Gold for Female Executive of the Year. Congratulations, Melinda. Thank you. Yeah, and and, uh, for people that don't know uh, Extreme Reach, I have a fun fact for everybody that you guys sent over, and that's that Extreme Reach actually handled ad delivery for over 70% of this year's Super Bowl ads. Wow, that's, that's incredible. <laughs> well, that's a very uh, tense week for us, but we also yeah. love it. <laughs> I, I'm happy to report that probably for, I don't even know, 10 years running, we have never had an issue despite the last minute changes going on behind the scenes. So yeah, we're proud of that. That's fantastic. And, and uh, for people that aren't familiar with uh, extreme reach, what we're talking about is we're not just talking about television advertising. We're talking about the entire process flow. Can you talk a little bit about what extreme reach does and who your customers are? Sure. Um, And it's, You know, it's complicated to explain. It's actually easier done than said, Um, but let me give it a shot here. So it may surprise you and maybe some of your listeners just how many steps it takes to get a video ad. Let's call it a video ad. It may appear on what we call the TV on the wall. It may appear on a phone, but for the sake of this conversation, they are the ads we all know and love or hate, depending on what they are. Sight, sound, emotion, and a brand telling its story in a traditional format, six seconds now being one of them, 15 seconds, 30 seconds. Um, so it's, it's actually pretty amazing uh, how many steps and people it takes to get an ad from when it's ready. So, you know, it's been produced. It's, they're in the edit suite. The client has approved, let's call it a 15-second ad. The steps that happen between that and it playing on any screen are really complex. Uh, more than ever today versus, uh, you know, sort of pre-internet days. So if, you know, if you even think about just just imagine how many shapes, sizes, and formats that ad has to be in, in order to, in the moment when media tees up a, a moment for that video ad to play in front of that perfect person based on data and programmatic and everything happening on the media side, um, you know, it, it, it's, kind of mind-boggling. Now, the good news is that we have technology today that we can lean on because humans can't manage that anymore. And so automation and technology enable 
a, um, a much more productive work stream for that ad to travel through, sort of like a bridge. So, you know, the ad finishes in the production suite and we are the bridge it moves across so that it plays according to the media plan. Um, does that make sense? Because yeah. I'll stop. Okay. So, so the other thing I, I will say is that there's an additional complexity in that um, there are so many people and entities that need to get paid for what's inside that little story, whether it's the actors on camera, the actors in the background, music that you hear that was licensed, um, dancers that are in an ad, whatever it might be. And so at the same time that those ads are literally moving across a bridge or a supply chain to get from, you know, sort of the the raw ingredient of it being done to it actually being on shelf, let's say, as a supply chain metaphor or playing on different screens, is there's talent and rights management that goes on. And that's a very long-standing discipline tied in with very complex union agreements. And, um, and so we, if you think about it, um, all of, uh, um, all of that is sort of intrinsically connected. The ads have to get where they go and people have to get paid depending on where they go. And so we've integrated all of that and all those steps into our platform. So to our customers, it really does feel like a seamless bridge underneath it's anything but. Um, and so it's an automation um, workflow workstream technology solution that sits between the creative process and the media transacting and make sure that those things come together. So, uh, so just from a curious standpoint, if I, if I'm a creative agency, am I even utilizing your platform to kind of preview and get feedback on an ad before it's, before it's fully designed? That's a piece of what we can do. It's not, you know, the majority of what we do is actually, um, connect, so we're connected to every post production house in the country and other areas they finish the ad and the first thing they do is upload it to our cloud. Now we do have project management and different, you know, uh, features and modules that'll, that can allow a creative process to, you know, use us for sort of workflow, but that, that's not like the core of what we do. So that post house will upload that master file um, right into our cloud. The second it's done, it comes right out of actually the edit suite technology. So it's not even, you know, it's all very integrated, which cloud technology yeah. can do today. So it comes out of the edit suite, comes up into our cloud. It's immediately um, uh, goes through a very rigorous QC process, both in an automated fashion, but also with a human being, because you, you really need both when it comes to uh, broadcast ready and, you know, just all the stringent um, requirements that have to go into an ad actually being in all the right formats to play according to standards and, um, um, and practice, good practices on the viewer experience side. So it comes up in our platform, it's QC'd, it can happen in a matter of minutes. Um, if something's wrong with it, the, the production house knows you know, that process, they watch for it to clear QC. If it doesn't, maybe the audio level's not right, maybe it's 30 seconds you know, or 15 seconds and a millisecond more and they have to go back and make sure that it's exactly 15 seconds, whatever it may be. Um, and then once it's in our cloud platform, it's moving through all these complex steps that have to happen um, in today's media landscape so that it's formatted, we call it transcoded, you know, put into all the right formats and essentially moved on to the launch pad for any kind of media plan. 
Um, it's not the sexiest stuff. It's the plumbing. It's the pipes underneath yeah. that industry because, I mean, we like to boil it down to say every media plan needs the ads. And right. that is so simple and there always was since the beginning of advertising a very discreet process for how the creative fills the moment um, but when the internet happened and so much was disrupted um, there was never an infrastructure built on the digital video side or the IP based platforms and so we sort of saw this coming and and see it as our responsibilities as the sort of longtime linear TV delivery and quality control company to invent the way that same ad can be ready to go anywhere. That's fantastic. And, and, and for our listeners, you know, for people that aren't familiar with, um, you know, television advertising, one of the things that you said earlier was really important. And that's that you're actually taking care of all of the recurring, you know, payments that are associated with um, you know, license agreements. And, and that's a, that's a really fascinating aspect of this that I, that I hadn't realized when I was reading about extreme reach. Um, so, so, and for people listening, what that means is basically if you go, you know, hire union actors and everything else, it's, it's a, it's a little bit different than, you know, just hiring someone for a one-time spot on a digital, you know, video that you're going to put on your website. These people actually get, you know, checks every single time, every month that that ad is running and they get residuals. Uh, and, and so it's a complex situation, especially I'm, I'm guessing with, with the number of channels and the number of outlets and everything else, uh, having a system to manage that is, is, is just an incredible advantage. Yeah, you nailed it. Um, you know, it's interesting because the linear side has long perfected best practices. And if you think about it, before the internet, you know, linear TV was a closed system. It was contained in the set. And while there's a lot of complexity underneath talent and rights management and being the payroll company that pays all those wonderful people who make the stories come alive, it was pretty straightforward um, before the internet, and it still is, it works beautifully in linear TV. The issue or the disconnect that we help our clients with are the challenges of understanding where ads go as soon as they're untethered or they're cascading out of that closed contained system into, you know, the internet. Yeah. Um, it, you know, so it requires uh, little codes that sort of travel along with those ads that are pinging back to tell you where they are, in a sense, like chipping, yep. you know, putting it in your dog <laughs> is yep. an easy is metaphor. Um, and, but it's requiring change in the infrastructure of the way we're working right now. Digital video folks who know so much about, you know, as digital natives and and understanding all the new opportunities have absolutely no history or education about talent rights management. And so, you know, oftentimes we're actually like a matchmaker and introducing people who may work in, in the same holding company or even inside the same advertiser, you know, brand company who just have typically not had to cross paths. Um, and so there's a lot of education. There's a lot of thought leadership and, and trying to get all sides of an ecosystem that aren't always used to, um, you know, needing each other in the process of getting a campaign launch that now have to. And the reason that's important isn't because it's nice for people to understand, you know, and learn new parts of the business that need to be integrated in order to pull off a campaign. It's that 
um, in the video or on, on the internet, there are enormous fees that can come about when, and trust me, they do, when an actor or their agent um, or manager is looking for ads falling out of compliance because under the rules and regulations of the agreement with SAG-AFTRA and the American Federation of Music and, and the other organizations and unions that negotiate these contracts, that if they see it falling out of compliance, they're due more money. And so, you know, that can be small and easily fixed. If someone says, hey, this is running and it was supposed to stop on Friday and now it's Wednesday, there's a little bit of a grace period to fix that. But often they're actually looking for those ads to show up in places that the advertiser doesn't know they are still running a year out because then there are big fines that happen. Um, and yeah. so our advertiser you know, we deal a lot of the times we're contracting directly with the advertiser and and part of it is because they cannot give up control of understanding where their ads are because getting hit with a six-figure fine a year later is, is not a good day for anyone. So yeah. it, it's a fascinating part of our business that's been around since the beginning in terms of how we compensate the people that bring those stories alive. And we also have a part of our company that pays the people behind the cameras. Um, we're the employee of record for the production set and the cameraman and the director and the writer. They obviously get paid for their art and craft as well. Um, and it's like a business of creative, which most of us, at least as consumers in the world, we see an ad and we might say, oh, you know, oh, my God, we love that Geico ad. Um, and we have no appreciation because we don't need to know what's really going on behind the scenes. But it's um, it's fairly complex. I mean, you know, it may not be. Uh, the sexiest thing to see on panels at a conference, but here at Extreme Reach, we actually <laughs> see and and finding process improvement pretty darn exciting um, because solving problems is uh, is a really nice feeling when you're dealing with the world's biggest marketers. Yeah, absolutely. And and we we uh, we touched on it one time. We were working with a client one time where um, we had done some audio recordings, and the client ported those over to the web. And, uh, and they got into some big trouble with the voiceover talent that they were using, you know, that, that, you know, yeah. that contractual agreement didn't overflow, you know, be from radio to web. And so there had to yeah. be renegotiating and everything else. And so I think if you're a, if you're a digital marketing agency getting into this business, you really have to be, be careful there because like you said, it could be hundreds of thousands of dollars, uh, you know, that, that a mistake could, could cost you. And of course, from a, a traditional ad agency side, you know, you've always been working with this and, and, and so you're aware. Wow. Well, yeah, um, exactly. exactly. So, so curious, um, what made you move from the ad side of the, the business, the ad agency side of the business and decide to jump to the technology side? Oh, well, that's, I, that's probably a lot due to my own sort of career goals to never stop learning and to throw myself in situations that feel really uncomfortable at first. So after, you know, being trained on just the best brands in the world, working with Procter & Gamble and Kraft and massive uh, brands to develop media strategy, um, which is fascinating. I feel like I learned that piece the best time because today that's um, kind of a, a little bit of a discipline that's uh, fractured and fallen by the wayside. And so I learned how to think about strategy and to think about how to take a brand and put it in front of the right people to drive business. And so 
Um, I feel very um, uh, lucky to have been trained in that way in the full service agency days um, that that served the client. And then I decided, you know, I was going to jump over to, at the time, I would have called it a TV brand or a cable network, which was A&E television networks. Um, now it's sort of more deemed, I think, better described media brand, right? Because it isn't just cable TV anymore. It's content everywhere. But but premier brands developing amazing content that consumers love. And, and sailing through a decade there, also very lucky, um, working in different aspects. Every two years, I sort of reinvented my role there. Um, maybe I guess I've just finally accepted an insatiable curiosity that um, <laughs> I need inspired by, you know, I, I don't know how to do this and therefore I'm going to have to learn really fast and adapt and apply everything I know to something new. Uh, so working on the research in the research department, create the in-house agency over at A&E Television Network, working with all the matrix marketers on individual brands and how do we drive viewership and how do we make cable operators happy who are carrying our content. And that was just a an amazing 10 years where I saw the ramifications start to happen. Um, when I joined there, it was like the heyday of cable. When I they were struggling to adapt to a digital ecosystem and fractured and fragmented viewership and, you know, a lot of change and a lot of disruption happening inside there, which is when I got my taste for jumping into the disruptor world, which was the Media, um, the video space on the actual media transaction side, um, which was Tremor Video. And so Tremor Video, when I joined, was a, a demand-side platform and a sell-side platform, um, reinventing the way that buyers and sellers transact with these um, programmatic, all of that in terms of uh, the innovation happening in the media transaction side. Um, and was my jump into wanting to go from a company being disrupted to a company that was disrupting. And I think once I, I sort of, I don't think I could ever go back. I got that sort of startup, even though it was a, a mid-stage startup and we took it public on the New York Stock Exchange at the time, you know, that sort of take over the world, we're going to change the world atmosphere. There's nothing like it. Um, yeah. Kind of going yeah, I, from... So many years in a culture that that you know more stayed into something that was changing every day. Yeah, I feel the same way. I I, I had a a similar, you know, kind of I went through traditional as well, and and I worked in the newspaper industry for a decade, and then uh, and then you know made the move to digital and worked for a rapid startup, Exact Target, which was bought by Salesforce, and and uh, now it's in your blood, you know. Now you, yeah, <laughs> you can't go back it's to a really, corporation. Well, and it's a blessing and a curse, right? I'm sure you can agree. It's like Absolutely. it fires you. You know, it's tiring sometimes, huh? and you have to actually make more of a concerted effort to say, you know what? I think I need to spend this weekend not thinking about what I'm going to try to do next at my job. And it's harder because it's sort of driving you, and there's a sense that time is short. You've got to innovate fast. You've got to disrupt or someone else will disrupt before you. And so it's this constant state of never doing enough and worrying and being paranoid about who's going to come out and, you know, get there faster. And so I, I do feel like whether I, I guarantee it was not planned and it was more luck, but to move into the world with the seasoning I had as a 
you know, as an executive in the business, I, I at least had enough wits about me to not get so sucked up in it that it would be, you know, a burnout situation. I sort of, okay, let's leave it today and let's come back tomorrow. So it's just been wonderful. I, I feel extremely lucky, despite that there are days I do think, oh my God, this industry is just really rough right now or really challenging. And each day, actually every hour, it almost feels like it flips back and forth. One minute you're you're fired up about the possibilities for marketers that exist. And then the next hour, you feel a sense of impatience because it's very hard to move an industry very set in its ways, even when everything around it is changing. And so you have to just kind of keep carrying the flag up the mountain and, and believing passionately about the end result, even if it's not going to happen overnight. Well, I, you really touched on some key points there that I think are imperative for marketers nowadays, you know, and, and that's, um, you know, your, obviously your history, you know, lends itself to that as well. You know, 25 years in the industry, you touched on some things, you know, always changing, always adapting, always learning. And I think, I think for, you know, if you were going to give, you know, advice to, you know, people coming up in the industry today, you know, uh, one of the things that I'm hearing ringing true with you is that you have to accept that things are always changing and be comfortable with that. You, if it stresses you out that things are always changing, boy, you picked the wrong industry. <laughs> <laughs> that is for sure. I think what I've been thinking about a lot lately as I um, lead my own team and work with other team members here at Extreme Reach is encouraging. I think there's a tendency for the generation that's getting into the business now to be so focused on the new things, right? And the, the yeah. sort of digital uh, importance of social, the what's an ad anymore versus a blending of native experiences and content. And that is all really important and, and does represent the, the new opportunities for marketers. But I see a tendency to race so hard on that stuff that there isn't a, a there isn't a pausing and an appreciation of some of the fundamentals of pre-internet that should port over to this new hybrid world, if you will. And so I try to spend time with my team talk, sharing some of the insights I have about things that have always been important to marketers, whether or not, you know, the landscape changes, things like needing to reach audiences at scale needing to do brand awareness things that are that you can't measure with a click-through rate or a you know video completion rate um, and so it's this um, I try to evangelize the appreciation of of top funnel things and the importance of it all working together and content marketing of which you never quite know you know on any given day what's affecting someone's heart and mind and, and what isn't um, and so let's not race to look at metrics and to think about, you know, lead gen and B2B, you know, uh, email marketing and automation and all of that is amazing. It's actually, I, I love learning about that from people where it's more innate to them. Um, but there's also, I find when I'm talking to marketers themselves and we're at the brand themselves talking about things, um, they have this real uncertainty about that. And and I think we all have to be careful to appreciate some of the fundamentals that will never go away and apply them to a new world, if that makes sense. You know, it make does. sure that we're not part of marketing because the science is so um, attractive and appealing and, um, you know, delectable because we can know 
you know, we, we have a sense of knowing more. Yeah, so, I think I, I, I love what you're saying because I, I, I've been telling the same, you know, thing to, to even our clients that um, I love, I'm a digital guy. I, I, I am in the soup and nuts every single day. I develop, I, I create dashboards. I, I absolutely love all of the measurement aspect of it. But there's a there's a portion of it, a large, and I, and I think um, I think when digital media first came out and analytics and and the ability to measure instantaneously came out, there was this uh, maybe uh, you know I don't want to say ignorance, but but there really was a gap in that people thought that they could measure everything, and and yeah. the problem is is that you know sometimes changing the the image of a large brand takes years and you can't measure the independent impact of every let's say tv commercial or you know brand change or or sometimes those things sometimes you can get an instantaneous feedback on them you know but but other times it literally does take years or 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 even decades you know to see what kind of impact you're making and those are those numbers are are in the analytics, but they're so hidden that you yeah. you know you're just not paying attention to them. And so it can it can really push you into doing short term things that maybe have immediate impact, but but that may even hurt your brand long term. You know if if you're not yeah. sustaining you know this. So I love you saying that because I I think I found the same thing is is that every time something pops up, whether it's search engine optimization or social media or, you know, or, or Snapchat or, you know, or whatever you want to, whatever is coming next, uh, you know, brands seem to jump on it as a silver bullet. And, and then a couple of years later, they're kind of looking at the numbers and saying, boy, that didn't, that didn't do what we thought it would do. And now they lost two years of working on their brand. They lost two years yeah. of, that strategic steps that they, that they should have been taking, you know? And so I love that advice. It's, it's incredible advice. I feel, I don't know about you, but I I do feel there's something in the air or the, you know, the zeitgeist right now where it feels like we are all swinging back to a place of appreciation or marketers are specifically where some of the things they just in their gut believe work are okay. TV, for instance, or, I mean, define that however you want, but premium content that people savor that is traditional, you know, sort of advertising's model. Um, and I, I think, I feel like we've just come out of a five-year period maybe where there was a race to the new things and the disruption and agencies pushing their clients to to embrace all of that new stuff. And now we're kind of swinging a little bit maybe to the place of equilibrium, though equilibrium is not a word I ever use in the business right now. (laughs) Even, you know, uh, we bring solutions out to marketers. And then I have this other part of my head that is running a B2B marketing team. And every day my team will hear, and I, and I, you know, if there's anything I come in every day with a little anxiety is, am I doing like analytics? I don't know. I'm not, you know, should I be doing, um, you know, the customer journey and lead gen and account-based marketing? And am I reading enough of the data versus trusting my gut about what seems to work in the, in this niche industry? And and I don't know. I don't have the answers. I, I want a dashboard, but I don't know what to put in that dashboard every right. day because 
Because, because when you really boil it down, and maybe it's growing up in the advertising industry as my entire career, is it's super niche, actually. It's not a B2B, you know, I, I almost sometimes envy um, B2B CMOs who work in, I don't know, whatever, it might be Cisco or something, where their database is like a billion, you know, contacts and data, and their lead gen is this, like, amazing engine coming in every day, and you can believe in the numbers. You know, it's very hard in the ad industry to get people to raise their hand and say, yes, sell to me. You know, so, I mean, I love it. I want to look at our social likes every day, and I want to look at our, you know, HubSpot emails that go out and what sort of open rate we get and all of that. But I put it in kind of a soup that is surrounded by my gut and intuition as well. But that feels like, is that okay? Um, and what I what I love most is just, you know, when you go to a conference or you meet other people in similar type roles and you realize that no one knows exactly what to do and what to do with it. So I'm kind of in a new mode where I'm, I'm going to try to simplify in my own head and say, okay, here are three metrics that I think matter. And let's just try to focus as opposed to feel like every day it's like, well, I, it's the social post last night got 12 likes. Okay. I, you know, I don't know what to do with that today. Um, <laughs> It's it's interesting because I I am often um, trying to to grow my own discipline inside our company where we're taking our value proposition out in all the ways that any marketing team worth their salt would do, but I don't even know how to read my own. And then then I go over to you know meet with uh, a big brand or something, and I'm like, how do you do it? And what matters to you? You know, look at extreme rage. If we get back to kind of what what we aspire to do. We don't make the creative and we aren't in media transacting. We are not at programmatic, you know, all of that craziness happening and innovation happening in the way media is bought and sold, but we connect the buy side and the sell side so that the ads, you know, the campaigns can actually launch. Right. And if right. was that sounds, there is much work to be done as an industry to make it easier to buy across any screen and pull off the execution of that campaign. Um, and so we're just sort of, you know, like I said, seeing the top of the mountain, no matter how far away it is. And every day we just try to inch, inch the industry up it and say, there's a better way. We just need to change behavior. We need those beautiful ads to be, you know, delivered in real time when that programmatic technology picks a moment. How sad right. if the creative doesn't fill it and the moment's gone. And right. so we simply create it with media. Um, easier said than done. No, I, uh, I think you said it perfect. And I, and I love that you're saying, you know, Hey, you know, we pay attention to all the metrics and we pay attention to everything, but, but the gut is still, you know, there's a decision that made, you know, in a strategic a strategy that needs devised that, that maybe is, um, you know, not encompassed with, with the numbers. It's, it's really just a gut feel. And I, I like that because I, I, Look, your you know your gut has twenty five years of of experience, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and I think that's <laughs> and I think that's that's an important thing for marketers to understand as well. Um, I see yeah. a lot of marketers just jumping, you know, from one like I said, one silver bullet to the next, and 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 years later, you know, they're they're left, you know, with a brand that just doesn't have a lot of acknowledgement. It's got a a mixed message in the industry. It's, you know, it's really floundering. And, um, yeah. and, I, 
and and I'm one of those guys. I, I I started in the digital marketing space, you know, 10 years ago. And of course I jumped on SEO and social and everything else. But as I, as my agency matured, I saw the, you know, wow, these guys really need help with their brand and their messaging and, you know, and competitive research and to look at where they are within the marketplace and how people are buying them. And well, how do you, you don't quantify those, those in analytics. Um, you can't see how bad that's hurting you or helping you. And, uh, and so yeah. it is, a, it is a gut push. Yeah, absolutely. And you need to be, you know, consumer first always and understand this, you know, really the unstated needs, right? The, the, the emotional side of how people make decisions and you can't, I mean, God, I hope we can never measure that or we've gone from. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> The robots, the, the robots will take over. <laughs> Deep consumer insight can trigger amazing things in a in a marketing plan, but racing to to do the one to one stuff without getting scale and some some sense of you know reach and frequency, and you know forget even that brands might be weak after a couple of years of not having a clear strategy. You're just not going to see the sales, right? Um, so it's you know, it's, it's an insane time. I think, you know, I worry more about 20 years from now. Here's why, because right now you've got this collision of generations, right? I'm the generation that grew up and learned, you know, cut my teeth on pre-internet days and how to think about marketing with a big, a big brand at the table. And then you've got the digital natives and they bring amazing things about, that, that I could never pretend to know innately or to know instinctually. And that collision of wisdom and knowledge is what's driving innovation today and, and driving some really cool stuff happening. But what happens, you know, I, 20 years from now when I, well, I hope I'm on a Caribbean island drinking a cocktail with a, <laughs> an umbrella. Who's teaching all those fundamentals? And sure, I'm biased because I, you know, I grew up in the beginning of the industry in full service. It wasn't exactly Mad Men, but it was the days of full service agencies. There was no unbundling of media and creative. And, um, and you learned in a very disciplined way how to create plans that, you, that had the art and the science built in as best you could. And you know, I fear that that discipline, I mean, marketers will carry it on because it's vital to what they do. But, you know, what what happens? Have we raced so far that then there's a resurgence of bundling back? I actually predict that we'll go back to some full service agency models or full service, whether in-house or agency, where creative and media are part of the same team um, and you're best serving the customer, the advertiser themselves, because you know, you're looking holistically. So, you know, who knows? And like I said, I hope I'm evaluating, maybe I'll write a book on the ad industry from the Caribbean, just observing what's happened. But it doesn't have to be the Caribbean. It could be anywhere nice and peaceful and warm, but uh, it's a cra- it's, it's interesting, right? It's um, not for yeah. the faint of heart. Going back to what yeah. you said, you business because um, it's easy or, you know, I mean, when I got into the business before you, it sounds like, um, you know, you got into being an assistant media planner, not because of the money. I mean, my first salary was $12,000 a year. 
Um, but I got taken on the Forbes yacht and on private planes to the Super Bowl or whatever it was. And that helped take the edge off the $12,000 a year in New York City. Um, today, I think people get in the business because they want to drive innovation and disrupt and change. They're not, you know, that, that stuff doesn't happen anymore, thankfully. And the transparency, is, you know, you don't get into the business because you're going to be taken by magazines all over the place or whatever. But, you know, it's just going to be an interesting sort of uh, transition as one generation moves, you know, out of the industry and the whole thing is taken over by people born only after the internet, <laughs> which is. Yeah, yeah, awesome. that is. And, and I think it's, you know, part, part of it is our responsibility, you know, to pass that knowledge on and, and mentor these folks, you know, that, that, hey, and, and, and they learn the hard way too. My daughter is a, 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 actually a PR and uh, event management degree uh, she got and, and uh, we had her helping with a client with social media and they did a phenomenal job on creating this incredible campaign via Instagram where they had tons of, you know, likes and shares and everything else. And, and it didn't produce the business results, you know, that they were after. And she was, yeah. you know, she was heartbroken because she did everything right. And, uh, yeah. and so it was just a learning experience for her that, Hey, it's, it's, you know, digital media is, a, and is, is amazing, has incredible reach, touch everything else. But that doesn't necessarily mean that people are going to, you know, act, you know, on, on it unless, you know, unless like we said, you know, you have to go to those basics and, and, and create that, that communication strategy that's going to work. Well, uh, sure. And the creative well, side of it. So. Well, thanks so much um, for, for people that want to reach out to extreme reach. Now, do you work mostly with brands and agencies or just agencies or, or is it a mix? Yeah, it's a mix. Um, more and more, we are working directly with an advertiser who's enabling our technology for their agencies to use. Got but it. it's all the, we also contract directly with, you know, every major holding company and every agency that exists. Um, and there's a third component of the ecosystem, which are the programmers and publishers who need the assets on the other side of the bridge, if you will, for those campaigns to run. And so um, we also are developing products and a suite of products for permission-based centralized clearinghouse for the creative so that a publisher, whether it's you know, a digital-only publisher or a programmer like my old company, a and &E Television Networks, but needing assets for IP-based content um, platforms that they run on and developing products for them to access the assets they need in an easier way. So it's really sitting in the middle of the ecosystem and working for advertisers directly, agencies directly sometimes, or agencies as users of the technology the advertisers selected, publishers, programmers on the other side, and all the performers and the rights owners who we are the employer of record. We actually cut the checks for those people. And so I think I can finally truly say in my career, I am now sitting in the middle of the ecosystem. <laughs> well, and, and uh, for people listening, you know, you can obviously go to extremereach.com uh, and you guys have a, a great website that absolutely explains your technology well and, and, and visually that uh, so people can understand why you're saying what you're saying, that you're at the center of this universe. And then, uh, and then also you guys, I'm going to put some links within the show notes as well. 
of things that you guys shared me shared with us and that's that you know uh, information on live ads information on you know the process flows and then um, yeah. you guys put out some great annual uh, or quarterly benchmarks as well on the industry yeah yeah that'd be terrific we appreciate that douglas and people can reach out to um, marketing at extremereach.com and uh, anytime or me personally link in with me um, and on social all of our platforms um, and can find us any way they find us we will be here fantastic well um, thank you so much for taking the time uh, Melinda this has been just an exceptional conversation and and uh, congratulations on all your success in the industry and and uh, I'm definitely gonna um, you know, push some folks over to your site to check you out. Thank you, Douglas. That was really fun to do and appreciate you having us on. The MarTech Interviews podcast is recorded at DK New Media's state-of-the-art podcast studio at the Speakeasy in downtown Indianapolis. Subscribe at martech.zone. Sponsorships and marketing services are available through dknewmedia.com.